The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 89. I hope you guys are doing well and if you are struggling with OCD um, or anxiety, you can get a free session with me. To get that, you can head over to my website www.robertjamescoaching.com and there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the free session. In today's podcast, I interview the amazing Elisa Kaufman. Elisa is a Miami-based psychologist who specializes in the treatment of obsessive compulsive disorder and addictions. Drawing from her personal struggles with OCD, Dr. Coffin was able to transform her life and get into recovery from OCD. Now she's on a mission to free other sufferers. She is passionate about helping people of all ages who are suffering from OCD and SUD to find a way out. She has created her own therapy program known as RIPR, and her new program has a strong emphasis on building motivation and drive with the hope that this new approach will unlock many minds. We cover lots of different ground in this interview, uh, including finding out about her opinions on um, ERP and how that differs slightly from her own approach to, to treating OCD. She also goes into detail about her own struggles with OCD and how she, she learned to, to overcome it. So uh, it's a really uh, a really interesting conversation. I really, really hope that you find it helpful. If you'd like to find out more about Elisa, you can head over to her website, www.compulsioncontrol.com, and uh, you could uh, send her a message there. So that's it. I hope that you enjoy it. As always, if you have any questions, do please let me know. And many thanks. Hi, Elisa. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Thank you for having me today. Now, it's lovely to have you on. So to start off with, could you just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, please? Yes, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I practice in Miami, Florida, and I specialize in the treatment of OCD and addictions. Fantastic. So um, you, we were just talking just a minute ago, obviously, uh, about um, because one of the one of the topics that we we discuss a lot on this podcast is you know ERP and how helpful that can be uh, for for OCD um, and also acceptance commitment therapy as well. And we were just discussing though about some of the limitations of of these approaches and uh, and actually you know this is obviously you've developed your own type of of therapy for for that reason. Can you, could you just tell us a little bit about your opinions on, on that, please? Yeah, sure. So, um, and I also blog for Psychology Today um, online. So I've written about a lot of my experiences. Um, I guess I'll start with what happened to me. Yeah. Um, okay. I, okay. <laughs> After I gave birth about 12 years ago, exactly 12 years ago, um, I had my first child. 
at the end of my pregnancy, um, I started developing really, really horrible OCD symptoms. And after he was born, my child was born, it was a really traumatic birth. And now we had actually in that year, 2009, we had the swine flu going around. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, <laughs> the, the pre-COVID, <laughs> COVID. Yeah. Yes, yes. Our training for pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had swine flu and I just really, by the time I left the hospital, I had severe, severe um, contamination OCD. And here I am with this brand new baby. And um, it was really scary and horrible places to be. And I could barely, it took me to the point where I could barely function. Um, every day was really, really challenging. And they tried, I, I went through the process like so many people do. And I was actually lucky enough that I had contamination OCD, which means I actually received diagnosis and treatment quicker than let's say someone with um, more mental rituals. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of the hand washing, bottle washing, avoidance of people or leaving the house. Mm. And they, they, they tried medication, did nothing for me. Um, in fact, I stopped breastfeeding to do medication also. It did absolutely nothing, which it was terrifying to think, you know, am I going to be this way now forever? Um, ERP was done on me. I even did a three-week intense program of ERP wow. where I worked with a, I worked with a brilliant clinician. He was like mm -hmm. a pioneer in the OCD community, nothing to do with his talents. Um, and it was like $7,000 in those days. And uh, tell you, I did compulsions yeah. while I was doing the ERP. Mm, yeah. So I, so it was actually making me worse. I was getting worse and worse. Um, it wasn't until um, there was one night in August, something happened. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but it made me feel like I was at rock bottom. Like it made me feel like I was going to really lose everything if I didn't get better. Yeah. And because that night happened and I felt like I was desperate and I had hit a wall. Next day, I actually started resisting compulsions. Wow. Um, very quickly, my OCD got better, actually, after I because I was properly motivated, I was shaken up honestly. Yeah. And, yeah. and something happened, obviously, that all of a sudden it clicked that, that, um, that my OCD fears, whether they happened or not, this thing, this other thing, um, I could lose everything seemed more realistically was going to happen. And it shifted things for me and it made me strong enough to resist compulsions. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, um, it's interesting when things come up in, in life, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, on purpose, you know, sometimes these things come up when we're like, angry and upset about them. And, and sometimes these challenges, though, can actually lead to to moments of breakthroughs. Um, and it sounds like, you know, from what you're discussing here, obviously, motivation is the key word here it, it enabled you to, to find that motivation where before it was very hard to do that a hundred percent and then i i went on you know i did erp i'm trained by um the international cd foundation i'm btti certified i did erp with clients for years 
um, when I, I've been in recovery, I got myself to a good place where I behave like a non-OCD person. Yeah. Um, I've even gone on to have two more babies and thank God I did not ever have any uh, relapse of it. Yeah. And I realized I watched my own clients and I watched the number one struggle. They weren't really, we weren't, we were just jumping into hierarchies and exposing them and preventing responses, traditional ERP. Um, and, and a lot of them, what they needed, all actually not a lot of them, all of them, all, they need that motivational component. And I thought, why am I doing it in the, in the traditional um, formula that made me worse. So I thought well, one day I thought, start treating your clients like exactly how you got better. Like get them into, I had like a calling and not to be dramatic, but like a calling, like this is the path. And that's when I formally designed my rip our program and put it into place. Um, and yeah. it does work better for my clients a hundred percent. Great. And so how do you, how do you, in this RIPR program, how would you build that, that motivation? Because I mean, I think for, for me, this was also an important component of, of me learning to, to uh, manage OCD better as well. And, you know, part of that was, was actually using acceptance commitment therapy, because I found that that, that was useful for me in finding motivation, but it sounds like from what you're explaining with this, it, it goes a bit deeper into uh, motivational theory, no? Yes. Well, we use, um, I was traditionally trained in addictions. That was my first um, uh, population of people I started with. I thought, and, and that's why my therapy is for the addictions population also. Hmm. Um, so the first phase of my therapy is rock bottom. So if a person comes and they say they're, you know, we use a scale one to 10, right? Um, if they say they're 10 means this is it, like you're ready to change. One is, let's say, I'm not ready. I'm scared. Um, so if anyone says they're anything less than a nine, we put them in the rock bottom phase. What does that mean? It means we give them, we have specific drive builders. We use motivational interviewing. It's technique. Uh, traditionally used in the addictions world for years. We use those techniques, but we do not, it's clear to the client, we do not go into the interruption phase of rip R until they can say, this is it. They're at a nine or a 10. Right. Okay. Yeah. Very good. And so, yeah. and so you're seeing with your clients that this uh, this kind of uh, motivation is it allows them to to really face that fear on their own terms and to to actually you know to actually kind of learn to acclimatize to that. Um, but I guess for them it's it's more of a positive choice. They're just more willing to do it. Now, obviously, if you're more willing to do it, it's going to be more successful, no? Correct, correct. And there's no more games anymore. Not that I, when I say games, I just want everyone to be clear. I don't mean anyone is intentionally playing a game. Mm. When you have OCD, such as I did, I, you're, you're outright terrified. So like when I did my OCD ERP therapy, um, I did compulsions and I hid them from the clinician. I was playing, I, I call it games, but um, I, I was terrified. The fear my OCD fear that I was going to catch an infection or I was going to get everyone sick and die was stronger than
than my desire to get into recovery. Hmm. Um, in Rip R, we correct that. The desire to get into recovery has to become stronger first. And there's no more games because now nobody has to trick me or not trick me. If they do a compulsion, they take responsibility for it. They, they don't even have to. Covering up that compulsion is actually a compulsion. So it's, it's, um, it's more within, they understand it's within their responsibility. And when they get motivated and when they want recovery more and they want their life back, frankly, more than they're scared of the OCD fear, that's, that's the necessary combination to get them better. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. The more that I, I work with people with um, OCD and, and anxiety, the more that I, I see that, you know, people are really struggling with, um, obviously with fear, with anxiety. Um, but I often ask myself, like, where, where is this actually coming from? You know, is it, is it that people who struggle with OCD and anxiety have an overactive amygdala and therefore you know they 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 feel more fear than than other people or is it because you know there's other things going on perhaps they have some kind of emotional baggage uh, or trauma that's not being uh, processed and 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 therefore it comes out as you know excessive anxiety um, or perhaps they're just very sensitive to anxiety it, it's 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 hard to say. What what are your kind of thoughts on on that? Uh, first of all, I believe all people that have I'll speak for anxiety also, but specifically OCD. Yeah, I think there's a genetic predisposition. Yeah. I do believe you are kind of born with a predisposition. What that means is you could. I do believe there are people that have the predisposition that never get triggered in the environment. So they just live and die at a ripe old age and it never comes out. It never manifests itself into mm -hmm. symptoms. Yeah. Um, COVID has been a really good example. I have tons of phone calls of someone and I hear they, they seemed fine pre-COVID. COVID was enough of an environmental trigger. And I always knew it would be to push some people who were predisposed into some sort of clinical problem now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we just saw it with COVID. As far as trauma, um, that was my story. And it's like so many others. I was I was diagnosed with PTSD as a teenager. Mm. And it came out when um when my son was born. It all makes sense because um my parents died, it was traumatic um when I was young. And it wasn't until now it all made sense looking back that when I gave birth, it would come out when I was about to start my own family and become a parent. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I never, I made a commitment almost like a, not, not a conscious commitment, but on some level, I sort of knew I was never willing or wanting to feel the way I felt when I was traumatized when I was young. Mm. So I think in some, this is, this is all, this was a process I wasn't aware of at the time. If I kept moving and doing compulsions and I kept protecting everyone, I would never have to go through that again. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. So the OCD for you was like a, a coping mechanism in a way to, to kind of keep that emotion kind of pushed down a little bit to not allow it to come to the surface. 
Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, you get trapped in that. A lot of people with PTSD feel the same way when you reach a point where, where, you know, someone now wants to take away your compulsion. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, I mean, terrifying isn't even mm. a strong enough word. It's yeah. horrible. Um, it could be, but you know, there's so much hope, obviously I did it, so it can be done. Um, but yes, PTSD is linked to it, but you don't necessarily have to have PTSD either, just to be clear. Mm. Um, but is there, but most people, even whether or not you have PTSD or not, I would say, would you agree with this? Most OCD sufferers, mm. um, there is that feeling they tell, they call it discomfort, uncertainty, but there's that, there's that they don't, don't think they can handle it. Yeah. They don't want to feel it. They don't think they can handle that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And no, I, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think people generally do have a predisposition towards, you know, anxiety disorders, um, you know, generally, you know, struggling with discomfort. And, and like you just said, you know, feeling on some level that they can't cope, they can't deal with it. Um, and, and that can be definitely, you know, made worse by life experiences. No, um, you know, traumatic events will, will can definitely spike that and then obviously make it a lot harder. And then something like OCD can come up and, and really become a, a very difficult, um, but helpful thing in a way, because, you know, it, it, people do do OCD for a reason. It does work in some regard. It's, it's kind of like you were alluding to there, you know, the compulsions are a crutch and, you know, this is why ERP is so hard because suddenly it's being taken away from you. Your, you know, your walking stick, if you like, is suddenly being removed and, and uh, it's, it's very hard to accept that. So yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Um, you also work with um, addiction which I think is really, really interesting. I did a podcast recently about my kind of, my kind of comparisons, I, I guess, between OCD and addiction. Um, because I think from my personal experience, there, there does seem to be a lot of crossover. Like certainly in a way, you know, performing compulsions, it, it feels very addictive. What, what, do, you, what do you think about that? Yeah, once again, I never understood um, being, I'm, I'm totally in the world of OCD and addictions. It's the, for me, it's the other side of the coin. What do you call it? The flip side of the coin. Mm. Um, it, it, I don't understand even in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that we use to diagnose. I never understood why addictions is not an OC related disorder or I, I don't understand why they're so separate from each other. For me, there's so much overlap. Yeah. I do believe people become addicted to their compulsions. So I yeah. feel there's a form of addiction in yeah. compulsive behaviors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yes, my therapy program, a hundred percent is designed the, the, what we've learned from addictions treatment over the years, the motivational interviewing, the, you know, you stay sober for one day, two day, five days, five years, 10 years, because it's practice at like repeating the sobriety behavior. We need that in OCD treatment and vice versa. Typical OCD treatment, ERP act 
can 100% help the addictions community. We need, the addictions community might need, like I have interruption strategies, how to resist compulsions. 100% those interrupters can be used for how not to binge drink on Tuesday night, how not to do heroin, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I feel, yes, I feel we need to combine forces if you want to use a superhero metaphor. <laughs> no, I think you're, uh, I think you're spot on. Um, <laughs> Okay, in, in that in that regard, I have a question for you. Um, and you know, in in my in myself, I mean, in the UK, we have a terrible like um, binge drinking culture. Um, you know, people start drinking at a very early age in the UK, like you know, kind of thirteen, fourteen, something like this. And uh, you know, a typical teenager will escape escape the family home, go off to the local shop and buy a cheap bottle of cider and hang out with their mates in the local park, you know, and get drunk. And, and it carries on once you go to university, exactly the same. And uh, it's just embedded in the culture. Um, and but something that I, you know, over the years started to notice was that, you know, alcohol clearly was playing into my OCD quite a lot. Um, you know, not that I ever kind of had what you would call, you know, a classic alcohol addiction problem. Like, you know, I wouldn't really drink at all during the week, but then on the weekends, you know, often we go out and sometimes binge drink with friends. And, uh, and so now actually I'm just, I'm just doing, I'm a uh, kind of five weeks into a little mini kind of uh, sobriety project just to see how I feel with it. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling really good. I'm having, I mean, already I get, you know, I've got to the place where I'm managing the OCD really well, but like, I just noticed that I get less things popping up into my mind, you know, less obsessive thoughts in general, um, which is obviously, you know, really, really great. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like the less obsessive thoughts you have, the less you actually have to apply, you know, ERP and act to, to the stuff that you're struggling with. And so that's obviously brilliant. Um, and so I don't know. I, I often ask myself, like everything in moderation. No, we we hear this all the time. But I often ask myself, with things like OCD, if you do struggle with OCD, you know, is it a good idea to drink at all? You know, or is that just being perfectionist, which uh, obviously can be a problem with OCD as well? What's what's your thoughts on on that? Um, I don't. I have no guideline for for my therapy program yeah. if a person wants to look alcohol i didn't make the rules like alcohol's out there it's created <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah i did not just so your listeners know i did not create alcohol <laughs> um, it's legal it's available if somebody wants to drink okay let me rephrase if somebody comes for ocd therapy if somebody comes for addictions help we do and rip our we do, um, if they have had an active problem, they have to do some sort of uh, detox just so they're physically safe, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. then they could start the RIPR program. They do need to maintain sobriety, but that's for people who qualify for a diagnosis of, you know, substance use disorder and the formal addictions diagnosis where they're physically addicted, you know, and they have withdrawal symptoms. Yeah we expect them to stay away from alcohol. But if we're talking about OCD and no formal addictions diagnosis, no, you do not need to be sober, so to speak, to do the program. If you could 
have a glass of wine with dinner. And, and like you said, it's, it's cultural too, you know, um, it, some people in there it, it grew up that way. They have wine with their, their meal at dinner. If there's no problem, what I mean by problem, they can function. If you could drink alcohol and you're completely functional and it's not interfering in any social occupational aspect of your life, then no, I have no problem. If you want to drink alcohol during the program, if you find you're drinking alcohol, I have a few people with OCD that say, I want to turn off the obsessions. That's where you become extra addicted. If there's like a double addiction to alcohol, mm. yeah, you're, you're numbing the obsession. You just want to break from it. You just want to break from doing those rituals and you just want to not care. So you numb out by drinking alcohol. Then yes, that has to be part of the therapy. It has to, you know, cause we have to teach you how to not numb the obsession. We have to teach you how to face the obsession and fight it without, or take those chances. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. I think, um, for, for me, I certainly notice, you know, like, I mean, one or two drinks is, is fine, of course. Um, but I, I certainly notice if I have, you know, maybe like three or four sometimes and a trigger comes up and, you know, I'm not, I'm not in a, a sober mind state and perhaps I'm feeling a bit anxious. I know that that kind of tunnel vision effect will will very likely kind of consume me a lot more when I'm in that, you know, alcohol kind of state, because it's a lot harder to disengage from the thoughts. It's, it's so much easier to get into that kind of tunnel vision effect. Um, so that's just me personally, it's something I've noticed over, over the years. And you know, everyone has to make their own decision with this kind of stuff. But yeah, for me, no, I have it. I yeah. have it too. I think people need to realize if you have OCD and you drink and you think you're going to numb an obsession, you could get triggered while you're under the influence. Mm. And I, I've, I'll admit this to your listeners. <laughs> I've had it where I, back in the day when I, when I drank or if I was like a little bit um, intoxicated and then I got triggered or I thought everyone was going to get so my OCD thought came in and mm and the alcohol wasn't numbing it, I actually felt like it was worse because then I was intoxicated trying to fight the obsession. I know it sounds horrible, but it was, it actually made it worse for me somehow, or like I wasn't in control. And then that made me scared. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I concur with that. You know, have the same experience with that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it's just an interesting one because, you know, as, as you pointed out there, there's, you know, even in the DSM, they don't really like make that correlation between addiction and say OCD and they, they kind of should do. Uh, and it's just interesting because, you know, obviously alcohol is highly addictive, you know, and if you do struggle with mental health stuff, then, you know, it can be very easy to fall in that trap. Not everyone does, but it can be. For me, it's like, I, I can kind of take it or leave it you know, these days. Uh, but often I'm finding like the, the older I get, the, the more I just want to leave it. And uh, that seems to be quite helpful. Um, yeah. 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 Okay, great. And um, so when you were, when you were really kind of struggling with OCD your, yourself, what were, what were the things that you, you found most helpful 
in in learning to overcome it um well this is this is um what i did so when i what i spoke about earlier when that horrible yeah. thing happened to me in that one night yeah um <clears throat> Like I woke up the next day, the, the day after, cause I was shaken up. Compulsions mm. were easy to give up. Like I didn't feel like I even needed to wash my hands cause I was in such distress and I was consumed with the thing that was happening to me in reality. Yeah. So, but then, but then I would say within much, a lot of people can relate to this within like five or six days, that horrible thing started dissipating and yeah. And I started, you know, it, it, like the old um, OCD habits started presenting themselves. That's when I thought, well, I'm super motivated. Um, I feel like I hit rock bottom. So I'm, I'm not going to go back. You know, I've, I've made some good momentum. I already detoxed, if you want to call it that, the first five days. So what I did was I created games that I played in right. my head. Yeah, yeah, I did. Like I would one of my interruption strategies now is these are all the games I created, like I would put one compulsion against the other. So like I would literally tell myself, if you wash your hand one more time, uh, hands, not hands, sorry, <laughs> if you wash your hands one more time, mm -hmm. um, you're going to have to go outside and pick up that what it, it was something else that scared my OCD, you know, um, so we, we play like little games like that. That's one of the formal strategies. So I would teach myself these games and I would spend my whole day playing these games. And we have one interruption that is um, influenced by act therapy. I have something called assume and agree. So we do submit to obsessions and stuff. So I did use elements of act and the therapy for my interruption strategy. I didn't know about act when I created these interrupters. Yeah. This was just what I instinctually, I wasn't even operating as a psychologist. I was just giving myself instinctually what I needed to resist the compulsion. Um, and now they're at 10. Now I have 10 interrupters. So I would play these games every day and it kept me from resisting the compulsions, which when you resist compulsions, resisting compulsions is the name of the game because then it finally gives your brain an opportunity to see one wow i am strong enough to handle this i yeah. handled the feeling i'm okay yeah. two it yeah. also makes the obsession seem less real like all of a sudden i felt like i was going to make catch hepatitis c or hiv 10 times in one day now i now it's not so scary like now it doesn't seem as legitimate. The obsession doesn't seem as likely to happen anymore because that's what happens when you continually resist compulsions. Mm, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, you're giving, you're giving it uh, more energy by, by fighting with it. And so when you, when you drop that, suddenly it just doesn't seem so real. It doesn't bother you so much. Um, and something else that you just said that I really like, you know, this kind of, it sounds like your approach, um, which I completely agree with, is, is by playing these games, you're bringing a sense of fun and humor almost to, to, uh, to the OCD, which I yeah. think is so important because part of the problem with OCD, because some of the thoughts are so horrible, 
know, so, so disturbing that we kind of lose a sense of humor about it. We lose that ability to be playful. And, and so by, by dealing with that, with it in that regard, um, I think that that can be really helpful. I totally agree. And one of the interrupters we have is obvious. It it actually involves using a sense of humor. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did No, you know, it's not okay for other people to make fun of OCD. Obviously, that would not be. As someone who I'm, I have OCD, so I'm not okay with that. But if the person, if you yourself want to find something ridiculous or silly about your own OCD, not only is it okay, I would consider that therapeutic. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I really agree with that. Like, the more that you can bring a sense of humor to the OCD, and you know to try to to laugh at some of the you know the more ridiculous parts of it uh as you just said you know like if other people are laughing at it, that's not okay but you know you can you know bring a sense your own sense of humor to your own particular obsessions and the more bizarre elements of those because you know <laughs> there is often you know it's like why am i doing this this is so odd you know, I don't need to do this. I know I don't need to do this. So why am I doing it? And so if you can at that moment bring that sense of humor to, to that thing, I think it can really help you to, to see it from a, a different perspective and, you know, and, and, and to just kind of leave it. So often it is about, you know, just leaving a thought undone or, you know, not having to come to a conclusion about something. And, you know, however you do that, however you unhook from that thought, you know, whether it's with a a more traditional kind of um, um, uh, diffusion technique or whether it's with, you know, actually, you know, just a sense of humor about it. You know, all of these things can be really helpful. Yes, totally agree. Hmm. Fantastic. And if people want to find out more about you and and Ripar and your, your approach, what can they do? Uh, first of all, they could always go to my website. Um, I'll say it www.compulsioncontrol.com. Um, I also host a bi-monthly, um, every other Tuesday it's on my, everything's on my website, but it's a support group. It's free. It's open to the public. And, um, because I started it in Corona, we have people from all over the world have shown up i mean we've had amazing like the places people have stayed up just to come to the group because it's at 4 p.m eastern on tuesdays yeah um yeah and we have had people from the uk from i know you said you're in barcelona right yeah they have yeah so we've had people from all kinds of places so this is open to everyone because part of my philosophy is that it's not just the addictions world that needs support group that's big in their world ocd people need that too um not for reassurance just to be clear that's why i host the group so no reassurance stuff goes on um it's just so people could like be amongst other people who are struggling with the same kind of internal battle as them helps yeah um and also i have instagram um, I think we found each other that way. <laughs> so it's yeah, a good, did, I yeah. think Instagram. Yeah. yeah, I think Instagram is a great avenue for connecting. So it's at OCD underscore help underscore now. Fantastic. 
that's great so elisa thank you so much for your time it's been uh, it's been great talking to you you as well thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast show please remember if you are struggling with ocd and anxiety you can get a free consultation uh, with me all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website www.robertjamescoaching.com and uh, send me a message and we, we can sort that out and if you like you can also follow me on instagram uh, at robert james coaching uk many thanks and now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer any information that you view on my website instagram page facebook group or anywhere else online or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional